You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Awake, O Sleeper, recorded on August 13th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. We are in Mark chapter 5, verse 35, if you'd open your Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 5, it's good to see all y'all, all yins, all you people here um, right now. Mark chapter 5, we are, we are studying Jesus. Isn't it fun to just look at Jesus' life, to look what he did and see what he said? You know, you have those other books in the Bible later on in the New Testament that are filled with abstract, and you have the Old Testament, which is always exciting, but there's nothing like the red letters, right? There's nothing like the Gospels where you have all the red ink, right, to see Jesus. We exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's why we exist. That's not... The reason we exist for that reason is because the only thing God is doing in the world is creating his church. I mean, it's not the only thing, but ultimately it's the only thing he's building on this planet that lasts is his church. That's it. It's his bride. Everything else comes and goes. And, and if you know Christ, you're already a part of that bride, and you are here as a co-worker. You may have been all thumbs before you came to know Christ. You may have had no purpose in life, but once you become a Christian, your job is to help Jesus with what he's already doing because you're following him, and he's building his church, and that's why we exist. And the Bible, the Bible is not only our main tool for outreach, it is our main tool, tool for inreach. It's the way you get changed from the inside, no matter what's going on in your heart, the word of God is going to be what changes you. So as we get into the Bible, hopefully you'll open yours, but not just on Sundays or Friday nights at services, but any time throughout the week. The Bible is accessible to you, uh, and you need to be reading it. You need to be a a self-feeding human being, right? Um, What would happen if if you always had to feed um, uh, your kid after they were one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old? You're still spooning food in their mouth. After a while, it gets really silly. And that's what it's like when a Christian does not feed him or herself the word of God. So I hope you've fallen in love with Jesus again by looking at him in the Bible. But remember, you know, you might say, man, why doesn't he do the next story? Or why doesn't he get more in? Or why does does he talk so much? Why doesn't he just read the story? It's so cool. Get this. If you sit at home with your Bible, you can read the entire gospel. And Jesus will, I promise you, he'll talk to you through it. The word of God is what changes us, what keeps us from being a club and, and a church that's, that you can go to church and have it a waste of time. What keeps us from being a, just a club, an organization, a social group is the Bible. It's God's word. God's word is living and active. It's not like anything else you're going to take into your ears and your mind. It will change the way you think, feel, act, and it'll change you from within. So let's value that uh, all week long and right now. Now, we left in the middle of a story last week. We left uh, a guy named Jairus, who was a a synagogue leader, an important guy in his town, and he had run to get Jesus. He ran to get Jesus because his little daughter was dying. She's not that little. She's 12. But to him, it's his little baby girl, his little princess. So he goes and he gets Jesus. He falls on the ground, says, come with me. And Jesus says, sure, I will come and heal you. But on the way, Jesus stops because there's a lady who sneaks up on him and touches his garment to be healed of her disease and Jesus stops and has a chit-chat with her for a little while. Now, this had to encourage Jairus because, look, he can heal this woman that easily. So he's the right guy. He's the great physician. Let's get him to my house now. Unfortunately, he, he's not going to make it in time. 
That's where we left off. And maybe he wouldn't have made it in time, but it sure didn't help that he had to stop and deal with some other lady. And that's where we take it up. The bad news arrives with Jairus, and we're going to take that up in verse 35. Ready? While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, that's Jairus is the ruler, some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? There can be no worse news to a parent than your daughter is dead, your child is dead. That is as bad as it can get. And he hears this, and he hears it in front of everybody. Um, Shock, no time to react, what am I supposed to feel? But before things go any farther, it says, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of a synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So this man has two groups of people telling him what to think. (laughs) One of them has just left his house where they've seen his daughter and she's dead. And they're saying, don't bother the teacher, he's dead. Then the other is this man from Nazareth, this miracle worker, who has never met his daughter, presumably, and has not been to his house, does not know what's happening. And he looks at him and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. What's Jairus to do in that situation? Who, who do you believe? What do you mean, don't be afraid, only believe? Now, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to say to him, don't be afraid, only believe, unless Jesus is greater than death, which he is. But how's Jairus to know that? I, I, just, just what kind of emotional, what does he mean? I think if I was Jairus, I could imagine he's telling me, don't be afraid, only believe, and still not telling me that my daughter is going to be alive again. I don't know what he's talking about. Nevertheless, <laughs> Jesus leads the way at this point. He kind of takes over. It says he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, before this, the entire crowd was just stuck to him like a magnet. And that was one of the problems of him transporting himself to Jairus' house. People were all touching him. And now, somehow, you know, Jesus is so cool because he really is the Lord of the universe. And if he wants everyone to stop following him, all he's got to do is say, stop following me. You try doing that with a mob. Try doing it with second graders. <laughs> you, if there's a bunch of people following you and you tell them, stop, it's not easy to get them to stop on the first scream <laughs> unless you have a gun. <laughs> Uh, they they don't want to stop but but Jesus just he has authority over everything and he says that's it no one's coming with me except Peter, James and John the brother of James Peter, James and John Jesus had 12 apostles but he carves out these three continually as his top guys Jesus knows nothing about equity he knows nothing about fairness when it comes to everyone getting an equal amount there's, he, he has not got any communist bone in his body. He does not feel bad about telling Thomas, um, sorry, you can't come with me, right? He, he says, Peter, James, and John, he, he, these three. He doesn't even bring Andrew. Who was, Andrew could say, I knew Jesus before you did, Peter. I introduced you. It doesn't matter. You know, Peter's <laughs> Messiah's pet, you know, teacher's pet. <laughs> James and John are brothers. Why does he do this? Why does he pick three? Um, There's never any uh, explanation in the Bible that says that some of the apostles are over the other apostles. Not even after Jesus goes to heaven. So, uh, but yet he picks three. And he does this all the time. These three get to see way more than other people get to see. Um, 
And so Peter, James, John, me, Jairus, me, I'm, I'm, I'm talking as if I'm Jesus, right? Let's go, is what he says. I'm not Jesus, by the way. <laughs> he, Jesus kind of thinned the herd. Now, as they're getting near the house, they're going to start to hear a noise. They're going to hear mourners, right? Because the kid just died. It must have taken at least, we're talking about a couple hours, right? Because they've got mourners there. Somebody, words went out and people are there. And the mourners are making noise. Now, um, funerals tend in America, white people, American funerals are quiet. And I'm not making a joke, I'm just telling you a reality. They're very often not loud. Black people, American uh, funerals are often more expressive and loud. I don't know why that is. Um, I think if you're at a funeral and someone you love is dead and you want to scream, you should scream because it's, a, it's an awful thing. Now, with the Jews in that day, believe it or not, especially for a rich man like a ruler, um, you had to hire mourners. You had to hire them. Just like when, you're, when your kid gets married, you hire a band or a DJ to play loud music. If someone died, you had, if, if you were too poor to hire mourners, you know, that was bad form. He, he had to hire people to come in, play instruments, and scream and wail. So they weren't really, you know, they didn't really have a stake in it. It's, it's like when you ever go to the restaurant and, um, and it's somebody's birthday, and the wait staff gets together, and they all walk in a line, and they look like they're going to die, Right? You look at their faces as they walk by your table to go to the other table with the birthday, and they look like they're on their way to the gallows. They're like, oh. And as soon as they get there, they're all like this with this body language. And the person in front goes, hey, it's somebody's birthday. And then they go, hey, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. And everyone at the table's happy because they actually know the person. But the wait staff is like faking it, right? Yeah, 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 happy birthday. As soon as it's done, they all go, oh, and they walk away. You're like, it's like, it's like happy birthday pity. If you're really happy about the person, you're happy to sing for them. Um, I think there's an application there to when you come to church, by the way. But I'm not going to make it right now. You can figure that out yourself. But that's what it's like for these mourners. They don't care. But they're making all this noise. And that's what they're going to come up on. And see in verse 38, it says, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, when they had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, but sleeping. They don't know Jesus. He says, hey, 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 knock it off. And then they laughed at him. Now, you can tell they were weep. Could you imagine going from weeping and wailing to making fun of somebody in the next moment? You can if you don't really care about the person who's died. If you really care about the person who died, you're not going to turn it into laughter that fast. But they went right to laughing at him. What a dummy. We know she's dead. We've seen her dead. We're here because she's dead. What are you talking about? She's asleep. What are you, crazy? But he put him outside. Again, we don't know how. I would love to have been there. Jesus probably only has to do this. And then they're like, I don't know why, but I'm out of here. <laughs> or does he say, get out? I, I don't know what he does. But they all go outside. Um, and then he took the child's father and mother, and those were with him and went into where the child was. So he goes to wherever the child is, which portion of the house, maybe your own room, probably. They're wealthy enough, could be an own room, but maybe not. Um, and, and there's mom and dad, Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and the girl. And that's it. And taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. 
um, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Uh, the Bible is, an, is written by eyewitnesses, so they're going to tell you things like Talitha Kumi, which don't mean anything to us, but nicely they tell us what it means. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Uh, it looks like that other language is a little more efficient. <laughs> Just two words, we take more than that. Nevertheless, he's saying, little girl, get up. Get up. Wake up. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping, brother John? Morning bells are ringing. Get up. And immediately, the girl got up, and she began walking, because she was 12 years of age. So she, she wasn't only up, she, was no, she wasn't only not dead, she's not even sick. She's fine. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. There's no way us reading those verses can give us a feeling of the emotion that was packed into that house at that moment. Um, Going backwards in his mind, Jairus might have thought, you know, a couple hours ago, this guy told me, don't be afraid, only believe. He didn't realize that Jesus said something very similar very similar to, to guys on the boat a couple pages back because they didn't know they were in the Bible yet <laughs> when, when the, the storm was going to get them. Don't you care that we perish? He says, why were you afraid? Don't you believe? This fear and faith are constantly on this teeter-totter, this seesaw going back and forth. Um, and, and he said, don't be afraid, only believe. These people told me my daughter was dead. I have every reason to believe she's dead. My wife's not stupid. She wouldn't call mourners if she wasn't dead. Whatever physician I had here said she was dead, and now here she is alive. Who knows what kind of emotions are going on there. It says amazement. We get that they're all amazed, to say the least. Overcome. Overcome. They're overcome um, with amazement. Um, if, I, if I'm Peter, James, and John, I'm overcome with amazement. If I'm Jairus or his wife, Mrs. Jairus, I'm freaking overcome with amazement. I mean, my daughter was dead, now she is alive. You get, have you ever seen anyone overcome with amazement? It's a very rare thing, but it happens once in a while, right? Once in a while, someone's overcome with amazement. The only time we all normally get to see this together is when you watch a beauty pageant, right? <laughs> and then um, <laughs> there's 10 of them up there, and then the first runner-up, there, whatever. And then, and then there's, there's the, mouth, the mouth drops open. It just, in your brain, if you've ever seen a beauty pageant, you're seeing this right now. Their mouth drops open. It's like, if I knew your mouth dropped open that big, I wouldn't have voted for you to be the queen. You know, <laughs> they go, Wah! And then they're overcome. They're like, and I don't know what this does. I know if it was my kid, I'd fall on the ground. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do. Tell you, I would never stop feeling thankful to that man who came into my house. I would believe everything he said. I would love him. (laughs) Well, they're so overcome. Now, Jesus, Jesus is like cool hand Luke. He's like, while you're overcome with amazement and your hands are out and you're doing this to your face and whatnot, she hasn't eaten in a few days. She's been pretty sick. How about you get her some food? You know, and I don't know what to make of that. Again, it's an eyewitness who writes it. Nothing comes of it in the text. It just happened. That's why it's there. So, but still, you know, to the little girl, <laughs> she's like, what's she know? Does she, I don't know. What's, she's hungry. Get her some food. He gets right into the practical. Then he says, he strictly charged that no one should know this. Well, what on earth are they supposed to say then? 
Everybody knows she's, the whole crowd in town knows she's sick to death. He said it right in front of all of them. Plus he's wealthy and he's important and all those mourners sure know. All his family knows. The physician knows. He strictly charged them. Don't tell anyone how this happened. What, what happened here? What the heck are they supposed to say? Think about it right now. What would you say? I don't think they have anything they can say except what Jesus said. She was asleep. Your daughter looks really good now. She looked kind of dead a few hours ago. (laughs) What's the deal? She wasn't dead. She was asleep. Okay, all right. Was Jesus lying when he claimed that the little girl was asleep, not dead? When he walked in the room and said, hey, she ain't dead, she's sleeping. Was he lying? Was he telling a lie? Because she was dead. All right, she was dead. Dead, dead. Beyond help, dead. Well, Jesus never lies. So that means what's dead to us is asleep to him. What's dead to me and you is asleep to him. A dead body. Why did Jesus show us by rising this girl up from the, from, from the sleep of death? Why... Why did he want us to see this? He didn't want anyone to see it, Peter, James, and John, but he wanted us to see it. He wanted it in the Bible. And, And why does he call it sleep? Is he just playing? The reason he raised her from the dead, we can only guess at, but he is the Lord of life. What has he just shown us? Before this, he showed us that he's the boss of illness. We say by the Lord and boss. Lord is a good word. I like the word Lord. However, it's only a religious word to most of us, so it loses its way. I talk to the good Lord, and if you call him the good Lord, you get some kind of points, and you never have to obey him at all, which means he's not really your Lord. Uh, Lord means boss. Boss. So he's already showed us he's the boss of illness because that lady touched his garment. And he said, illness be gone, you're free, your faith has made you well, or whatever. You know, he's the boss of that. He's been the boss of illness for a lot of people. He showed us he's the boss over demons before that. Dude had demons, he said, demons, out. He showed us he's the boss over wind and rain. You keep going ahead, he's going to walk on water, he's going to show us that he's the boss, apparently, of uh, gravity. (laughs) Well, here, what's he the boss of? He's the boss of life, and he's the boss of death. Peter, James, and John get to see this. They're going to be at the Mount of Transfiguration with him, too. Right? When he goes up on the mountain, one day, he, he doesn't take all the apostles, just those three, and he turns into like this heavenly figure, like he really is, and there's Moses and Elijah shining with him. They're getting to see a lot of extra stuff. They get a lot of inside baseball. Is it any wonder, for those of you who know the story of the gospel, and many of you do, that those three would be fighting over who gets to sit on his right hand and his left hand and who gets to be the boss? Because they feel pretty special. Why does he drag them in there? Why is it important that they see this? They're going to remember this. You might be saying, what's the answer? I don't have an answer. I'm just asking. But I can remember another time when Jesus referred to a dead man as asleep. From John 11. Can I read it to you? 
That was rhetorical. If anyone yells no, I'm going to read it anyway. This is from John 11. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You mean down there in Judea where Jerusalem is, where the temple is? Let's stay up here in Galilee where our buddies are. That's what they're saying. Do you, are we going to go there again? What, you want us to have a beatdown? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in, in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he's the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in, in him. This is the kind of deal sometimes Jesus will do to his friends. They're like, hey, shouldn't we not go there because they're going to beat us up? And instead of saying, "Now nah, we'll be fine, he says, there's 12 hours in the day. You've got to work when it's light, and that's what you've got to do. And then, you know, the apostles are going, okay, forget it. <laughs> Let's just go. I can't. I don't even. I don't even know what he's talking about. Me either. Write it down. Let's get that in a book. After saying these things, Jesus said to him, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I want to go wake him up." Okay. Now he's really saying silly things. Okay. Okay. I asked you, why don't we not go there so we don't get beat up? And you said something about twelve hours in the day to work, which shows clearly. You have no union contract. <laughs> I mean, 12-hour days seems to be the norm around here. Um, and then, when we looked at you funny, you said, he's just sleeping, he needs to wake up. And so, they're, they're a little freaked out at this conversation. Why risk your life to wake someone up? And that's exactly what they say to him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to be okay. He'll recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Why do you think they thought he meant sleep? Because he said sleep. (laughs) You see, sleep means something to us. It means something you do at night and you wake up in the morning. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now let's go. And then he's going to wake him up. You can read all about that in John chapter 11 for yourself. But what I want us to see is Jesus twice is equating sleeping and being dead. And by being dead, I mean what we think of dead. The kind of person you fill with embalming fluid and put in the ground or cremate or whatever you're going to do with them. He said, I I need to go wake him up. For Jesus, getting dead people up is as easy as you or me waking up a friend. Now, I'm not talking about a teenager because it's really hard. People, by the way, here's here's a parenthesis so we don't get confused. People often ask what happens to us after we die and and we, we hear about death as sleep. People say, rest in peace, he's sleeping. The body sleeps. The soul does not sleep. There is no evidence in the scripture that souls ever fall asleep. Souls know 
there somewhere at all times. And the scripture is clear with that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or unless you don't know the Lord, somewhere you don't want to be. But that body is snoozing or resting. And resting can look a lot like decomposing and becoming food for worms. So let's, that's the story. I want to get into the implications, the bigger implications of what Jesus did, really focusing on the fact that he looks as a dead person as a sleeping person. <laughs> so what are the implications of Jesus being able to wake up dead people? It's quite a trick. It's quite a thing to do. I don't know anyone else who can do it. Do you? Do you know anyone else who can make a dead thing alive? No, no one can do this. No one can do this. Nobody. You can't, you, you can't go by roadkill. No one can go by roadkill and get it up. Nobody. No one can take a dead branch and make it come alive. Nobody. But to Jesus, it's just sleep. What are the implications? Number one, it confirms that he is God. We've been saying he is God. This confirms he is God. There is only one who has the power to make, give, take, and revive life, and that is God. Now you can say, well, God the Father is doing it through the Son. Yeah, you could. You could. Because he he can rise someone from the dead through anybody. It's still God the Father doing it. But he talks of Jesus as if he's given him the authority to do it. But only God has the power. So if Jesus has the authority to do it, he's God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, 39, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. It doesn't really matter what God you believe in, as long as you believe in something. Well, apparently it does. I kill and I make alive. Many people, I've, I've heard, that it seems like people, we live in an age where people curse God. There's not a lot of fear of God, right? People are always saying God needs to, we're, we're such an entitled Westerners, or so entitled people. They're always saying God owes me an explanation. Why did this person die? Why did my mother get cancer and die? My, let me make the question harder. Do you know anyone who died? <laughs> well, yeah, my great-grandfather. Guess what? God whacked him. I'm not trying to be cavalier here, but do you think anyone dies apart from the permission of God? Whether you're eight or 80. I kill and I make alive. Biggest problem with evolution, besides the fact there's zero fossil record of any transitionary species and there's no biological that the theory of the, of the whole thing at the, at the micro level, which means it's impossible. Well, besides those two insurmountable things, the biggest problem with evolution is no one can create life out of nothing. If every time there was nothing, there'd be nothing still. No one can create life out of nothing. No one can create life. They always start with something, you know. <laughs> Scientists get together and they say, look, we got some amino acids here. What would you use? Well, we use this dirt, we use this water, we use this electricity. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was the old joke, right? The scientist says, we can make life. And they proudly shake their fist at God. And God says, well, I can make life. And, they, and then he says, let's have a contest. First you, then me. And they say, okay. And they, they get their, their water and they get their dirt and they get their, their, their vacuum chamber and they get the tube and they get the... And he goes, God says, no, 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 you don't get any of that stuff. Get your own dirt. 
You didn't get it? Forget it. All things that are alive are made by God. And he can make dead things live again. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet needed to see this. He needed to be encouraged. So God took him to this valley where there were a bunch of dead bones. Human bones. And he said, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel's like, mm, let's go with no. <laughs> oh, Lord God, you know. That's, that's always the good answer. If God asks you a question you don't know, Say, oh, Lord God, you know. That's, that's always, that's a winner. See, Ezekiel's fast. That's why he gets to be a prophet. Um, how about you tell me? <laughs> he goes. Then he said, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is not, this is, doesn't seem like a speech that's going to be very effective. <laughs> Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews, sinews, muscles upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This is the speech he's supposed to make to dead bones. So, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones come together. This is the time, if I'm the the prophet, that I'm running away. Right? I mean, when skeletons start getting up by themselves, I'm out of here. We didn't sign up for this Halloween nightmare. But bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, and there was no breath in them. So there's just an army of people. They can't breathe. They're just standing there. Humanoids. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came on them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. <laughs> creepy, really creepy stuff. But God is the only one who can take a dead thing and make it alive. Second thing that we get since Jesus can wake up the dead is it confirms the coming resurrection. Christians... Uh, are hard to, it's hard to fathom what we say is true, the things we believe. We actually say at the end of all time, all human flesh will be resurrected from the dead. Well, since no one can resurrect anything from the dead, right? Since no one can do that, <laughs> how, how, how are you going to pull that off? Jesus, God has promised a resurrection way back in Daniel and and I want to show you this verse from Daniel 12 because I, the language he uses. This is, so this is long before Jesus. Look what it says. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Same exact language. Many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake. And, and this is an angel talking to Daniel. Some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt. So what does that mean? It means at the end of time, everyone who's sleeping in the dust gets woken up and there's a judgment day. You Christians still believe in a judgment day. A God who believes in good and bad and right and wrong and there are sins and he's gonna throw some into hell and reward some from heaven. As a matter of fact, yes. And the, the sleep and shall awake. Jesus, Jesus is... Is he? I don't know. I don't know. He chooses the same words in the New Testament. Does he choose them so so people will start to put together that with this verse? I don't know. 
No one else ever says of dead people they're asleep and then they're awake. And he, he does. That girl, she's just sleeping. I'll wake her up. Lazarus, he's just sleeping. I'll wake him up. Those are foreshadowings of the same person doing the same thing at the end of the age with all of you and with everyone who's ever lived. Think about that. Everyone who's ever lived, everyone who's ever lived and died is on the way back. Anyone who's ever lived. He is the one who has the authority to raise. And third, it confirms that Jesus is the immortal Savior. Now, I'm going to give you the logic of it, then I'm going to show you that I got the logic of it after I saw the truth in the Bible. So I'm not, like, brilliant. But if he has authority over someone else's life to raise him up from the dead, does he have a... He must have authority over his own, right? Right? If he, if he can raise you from the dead, he should be able to raise himself from the dead. And that's exactly what John 10 says. It says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Now, see, that's different than God doing it through him. (laughs) I am allowed. I have authority to take it up again. I'm the Lord of death. I'm the Lord of life. I am the boss of death. This charge I have received from my father. The Trinity is a mystery that's definitely in the Bible. There's three persons, one God. Where do we come up from that? with that? The Bible always tells us there's only one God. It's a monotheistic book, but it shows us three persons who do the things that only God can do. And one of them is raise the dead and judge the dead. He died on the cross with his own permission. The Romans did not force him into death. He did not have to, he could have made mincemeat of them Romans. Right? He could have, he could have been like, like Bruce Lee, man, Bruce Lee. Well, man, I'm going f- too far back in time. Jackie Chan, does that work? Ten guys can jump them. They can have them surrounded. They think they have them. They don't have them. He's going to beat them all up. You know what I'm saying? And, and it doesn't matter how many Romans you bring. Jesus has no problem making mincemeat of every Roman you bring. You, you, people tried to kill him before. He didn't let them. Why? It's not time. It's not, it's not my death time. I know when I'm supposed to die. He was going to raise himself. That's what it says. I lay it down. I take it up. He's going to tell himself, time to get up. He's going to wake. Now, that's weird when you think about it. Because his, his soul does not die. The soul of Jesus never dies. Right? <laughs> it, it, he, he said to the guy on the cross next to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But his body was good and dead. He woke it up. Wake up, wake up. Did he wake up? You know, gently, wake up. (laughs) He got himself up. Why did he do this? Is this a carnival trick? Dead, alive. Hey, look at that. No, it's much more serious than that. The reason he died, he said, was to give his life a ransom for many. God doesn't have to die on the earth in the form of a man. God doesn't have to take on a body and live here. No one can make God come down from heaven, take on a body and live among us. No one can force God to die. He doesn't have to do these things. You 
are the recipient or the beneficiary of an act that was not necessary. He chose to come here and he expresses his love to this whole world by dying to buy you. It's as if you were kidnapped by your own sin, by Satan himself. And the ransom was the son of God and he came and he paid it to get you off the hook. The same world that yells at God and says, how dare you let this happen? If you were good, bad things wouldn't happen. And in their pride, man in his stupidity screams at the God who came down to save you and didn't have to. He says, I lay my life down and I take it up. I know exactly what I'm doing. And he knows he's doing it for ingrates. We're all ingrates. <laughs> In other words, he knows. Unless I make you grateful, you won't even be grateful for what I'm doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He does that love. Fourth, and finally, him being able to Look at every dead person and say, wake up. And I think about, I go to graveyards a lot. I I probably talk about graveyards a lot. I like graveyards. I mean, I don't like them in the sense that I want to live in one. I I don't want to spend all my time in them. But they're fascinating because you're driving down the road. You pass a graveyard in your town. And you can't help if you let yourself think of realizing that other people used to drive down the road, pass the same bit of land, and they are in it. You know, and you, if you, some of the graveyards are so old, even before cars. These people used to walk around on top of that land. Now they're under it. Jesus, get this, if Jesus walks over that land, he can just ring a bell. Right? Frere Jaca, Frere Jaca, dormez-vous, dormez-vous. Wake up, Johnny. Wake up. Time to get up. And they will just get up. You can't say no to Jesus telling you to get up because he's the Lord of life. Lazarus had to get up. He could say, I want to stay dead. Heaven is cool. No, you're getting up. There was, there was a rumor that another guy came out when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out because there'd be more than one in a tomb. Another guy bounced out. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, Mr. Laskowitz. I distinctly said Lazarus. <laughs> and he sent him back in. I don't know if that's true. That might not be true. But since he can do that, every moment in the life of every person becomes important. I kill flies all the time when I can. Um, Sometimes on my man porch, I have a porch that's just for me. Um, If you're not married yet and you're a young guy, let me tell you how this works you've got to carve out a space where she doesn't want to go. Because otherwise, the only bit of that house you have any control over is the top of one dresser, if you're lucky. Just trust me. Ask a married guy, they'll tell you. Whole place is hers. And, and I've got this spray for wasps. And sometimes I'll see a fly, and I'll be sitting in my hammock, which is on my man porch. I'll pick up this, and I'll just shoot a fly. <laughs> Enough poison to kill a whole wasp nest. And the fly just goes, poof. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. I don't like flies. They're incredible machines. Incredible machines when you think about it. No man could make a fly. Only God could make such an incredible machine, this maggot-making machine 
that can fly in so many directions, exoskeleton. They're really all these eyeballs. They're really amazing. I just kill them like they're nothing. And they're annoying. Nobody misses them. And no one's ever going to miss them. Some people think it's the same for human beings. All the masses who have died throughout the ages, who nobody knows, who aren't in anybody's history book, they don't matter. They're just food for worms. Some think, ah, when you're dead, you're dead, and that's that. And it's not so. All who sleep shall be awakened. Nobody will stay asleep. Everybody wakes up. And when it happens, according to the scriptures, all their deeds will be made known. Those who do good go to everlasting life. Those who do evil, off to hell. There is a caveat with those who do good, by the way. Since all human beings do evil all the time, no one's in that group. Unless they receive Jesus as Savior. Because he paid for them. Then they can freely be forgiven. Then they can live every moment of their life for Christ. Then they can have good deeds. Otherwise, no one's in that group. (laughs) Many people in the world get away with all kinds of crimes, don't they? They rape, steal, kill, lie, change wills. They embezzle. They pilfer money. They have marital infidelity. (laughs) Sexual sins of all kinds. They take bribes. They cheat. They beat people up. They hate people. They gossip. They lie. They have angry outbursts. And on and on and on. They get to the end of their days. Many of them are often rich and satisfied. Or good middle class and satisfied. They get to the end of their days. They die. And they never pay for their crimes. They never say they're sorry to anyone they've hurt. And nobody ever catches them for things that were illegal. And that's just the way it goes. They get away with it. We can think of the great that everybody knows. Fidel Castro. The communist leader of Cuba. The great torturer and killer. He died without ever answering for his sins. Heck, he died to some Americans in Hollywood. He was a hero. He tortured his thousands. And then you have Stalin. You know how Stalin died? Stalin died of a stroke. In a, in a very soft, warm bed. He killed millions. And he was surrounded by luxury. And he never paid for any crimes he did. Mao Zedong, dead at 82 years old. He got to live a good long life. Heart attack. He never suffered like the millions of people he killed. And like I said, he's a hero to many. And there's a lot of people we'll never know. Not just celebrated people. The dirt of the local graveyards, high old Hides child molesters who come into daughters or nephew and nieces' rooms and just ruin their lives. The the dirt of the local graveyard hides the local politician who took bribes and helped out who he wanted and ignored the rest. The, The dirt of your local graveyard hides all kinds of sins. And all these people just got away with it. Child molesters, killers, rapists, thieves, adulterers crooked drug dealers. That's bad to be a drug dealer, but then there's even crooked drug dealers. 
if you don't know what I mean, every, every subculture has its ethic. <laughs> There's even crooked drug dealers. They get away with it. Or so they thought. There's no mercy in the grave. Jesus says, every idle word you speak will be reminded to you. Not so fast. Acts 17 says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he calls all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of every human after he raises them. And all will be held accountable. The great and the small. No one gets off and no one gets a lawyer. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's Jesus. And from His presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. How'd they get before the throne? Because he said, get up. Just like a little girl, arise. He didn't even have to yell. Little girl, arise. Could you give her something to eat? She looks hungry. Get her a happy meal. He's going to say to the whole world, get up. Too many people are worried about O.J. Simpson. Who cares about O.J. Simpson? Well, what if he kills her and gets away with it? Trust me. When she's standing there in front of God, he's not going to be able to hide. Don't worry about O.J. Simpson. Worry about yourself. Why? Then another book was opened. Here's why, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Every one of your deeds has been remembered. There's not a one you've gotten away with. There's not a secret you have. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. God is so cruel. He throws people to hell. No, he only gives you what you deserve. Well, does that mean hell will be worse for some than others? Sure. Some did worse than others. And the sea gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades, those are the graveyards, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death itself and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And I want you to notice something there. Jesus redefines dead, what we say is dead, as asleep. And for him, it's always asleep. For him, it's always asleep. He will always wake him up again. Paul will use this in a very comforting way for Christians. He says the believers who have died, he says the believers who have gone before have fallen asleep. So if you have a loved one who you know loved Jesus, they're not dead. They really are asleep. Well, at least physically. They're awake with God right now, but they're just asleep. But now he redefines the word death. He says, let me tell you what death really is. Death really isn't when you die here. Death is when, having been woken up and stood before the judgment of God, you have been found wanting. That's really death. It's called the second death, and that's the real death. That's the one you want to escape, my friends. That's the one you want to escape. (laughs) Because there's no waking up from that one. Whatever that's like, that's like that forever. But then he throws death itself in there. Means anyone who survives the lake of fire will never die. Ever. 
If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So Jesus redefines sleep, he redefines awake, he redefines death, he redefines life. But I think if you're here, you better see one thing and say, my name better be in that one book of life. Is it? If, if you're counting on the fact that your secret bad deeds you're, aren't going to be known, they're known. And they will be broadcast to us all. Unless, of course, unless, of course, somebody will be punished in your place. And that's Jesus. But you have to repent and believe. You have to turn and say, this, I, I don't, the sins aren't my boss anymore. You're my boss. You have to accept Jesus as boss and ransom payer. Right? You have to accept Jesus as your boss and ransom payer. Some people say Lord and Savior, but they can say what they want. Have you? If you haven't, why not do it right now? Why not right now? Do your business with God. He's already paid for you. He will forgive you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.